you get started off since you you're mad disrespectful. I'm not even disrespectful. Nah, I you're just disrespectful. I think that there's absolutely no shot. So you said that you could run 20 yards in an NFL game. I mean, yes. I don't think that you could run for five. That's cap. I think how many carries? If you give me ten carries, I'll get five yards easy. Because I was I was gonna give you twenty carries. I mean, twenty carries, I'd get twenty yards just because I have faith in my ability as a football player to get one yard a carry. Like, I mean, if you don't have the confidence in yourself to get one measly yard on the ground behind an NFL offensive line, you know, maybe pump me behind the Raiders or the Cowboys line or something, I'm getting a yard. It's that simple. Like, I'm that confident in my abilities. And then if we just look at it from a logistical standpoint, like, I'm a pretty big dude. I'm 5'10", almost 5'11", probably like 240. So, I mean, I'm not going to go down that easy, you feel me? And I got decent speed for a big man, so let me just hit the hole one time. I'll get, I'll get a yard. It's one yard. Decent speed. You probably run like a six second 40. I'd lock you up though. I mean, but here's the thing. I don't think I'm that athletic and put it in perspective. The smallest dude on the worst run defense in the NFL, the Panthers is Brian Burns and he's six, five, two fifty. That man is eating you alive. You're not getting out of the hole. Even if the line gets a good push, they swarm in you. But it's one yard, three feet. 36 inches i just don't know if, if you have if, the burst to even get to even get oh, that yard bro you must not know me that that's <laughs> that's a major cap and like i said if you don't have the confidence in yourself as a person or an athlete to get one yard against these guys then i don't know what to tell you i think you're just gonna fail in life because you just lack the confidence in the balls to do anything hot take wow that's bold i probably must lack that because I, don't, I think that i would probably average like negative two yards per carry in the nfl (laughs) personally what's going on everybody welcome to episode 89 of the dfs dose podcast i'm your host ben hover joined as i always am by joey carrion and on today's show we're going to be breaking down the week two nfl slate from a dfs perspective we'll be talking about slate specific strategy the chalkiest plays on the week looking like a week that will have several players with highly condensed ownership we'll also be talking cash game lineup construction tournament leverage and of course We'll close out the show with a few of our best bet takes. But before we do any of that, Joey, would you mind telling the people how they can support the podcast? As always, you can support the DFS Dose by following us on Twitter at the DFS Dose. And then you can go ahead and subscribe or follow us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, SoundCloud, Stitcher, Podcast Attic, wherever you listen to your podcast, we are on that platform. And then if you wouldn't mind, go ahead, leave a rating and review on those platforms as well as it helps us out a ton and will help us reach a new audience. And then you could support us by subscribing to our YouTube channel at the dfs dose uh my video just dropped yesterday so go ahead and check that out on the feed and then ben's video will drop tomorrow on that same channel so go ahead and subscribe on the youtube and that is the best way to support us let's get right into it joey this is a week with 13 games on the main slate we've got a lot to talk about and before we get into some vegas notes let's talk about this slate from sort of an overarching perspective last week we talked about how week one is a crazy week for dfs based 
based on the months leading up to the season and how everybody sort of has the same group think and widespread misconceptions. We saw that play out uh, in a prime example of Antonio Gibson being chalk and not having the role that he was largely expected to have by the fantasy community. Week two is a uniquely crazy week in its own way because the public finally has some real NFL data, some stats to look at. Although it is an incredibly small sample size of just one game and people just really weight that heavily. And I think that what that does is create incredible opportunities for GPP leverage. So just speak on that for a second. Yeah, so everybody is going to look to the week one trends and, and go based off that when they're building their lineups, especially for tournaments. Now, I don't necessarily think that is a bad process. But I also believe that a one game sample size is too small to start making any significant judgments based on lineup construction. So with that being said, I'm essentially looking at week two as, you know, a brand new week, obviously. I mean, I'm going to take into consideration some of the trends and stats that we saw, but I think there is opportunity for leverage with guys like Austin Eckler, who the fantasy community believes, you know, they he won't have a receiving role in the Chargers offense. So that's just one example of where you could possibly get leverage in tournaments this week, um, especially on uh, these guys who might have had bad weeks, but we know that they're great players and regress back to the mean so that's the way i'm looking at week two and you know hopefully we can bank some tournaments and hopefully you know you could go back to back word to drizzy absolutely i'm definitely channeling my inner drizzy this week definitely trying to go back to back and i think that one of the spots that we can look to you know find an edge here is by looking at the deeper stats and finding you know things like snap share and routes run that i think do tell you a lot and fading things like pure results like for example you'll see that like Saquon Barkley had a terrible week but I think that you can come back to him he still has a great role in, in that offense and a ton of talent you know players like DJ Chark getting out targeted by Keelan Cole I think that you know people will overreact to things like that and so on and so forth but uh, let's start off things right now with some of the notes from what Vegas is telling us so on this 13-game main slate, and we're going to focus on DraftKings for the duration of this podcast, we have 10 early games and 3 afternoon games. We've got 4 games with totals of 48.5 or higher. Last week, there were no games with totals above 50 on the main slate. This week, there are 2. Baltimore at Houston, a very enticing game, and then the premier game of the week for DFS purposes, which is the Atlanta Falcons traveling to Dallas, this game opened up at 51. It has since risen to a 53 over under. And for the second straight week, the Buffalo Bills are part of the game with the lowest total on the week in their road matchup at Miami. The top five implied team totals on this slate in order, Baltimore 29.5, Dallas 28.75, Tampa Bay 28.5, Kansas City Chiefs 28, and the Green Bay Packers at 27. Seven five. So, Joey, what stands out to you uh, from these Vegas notes? Yeah, I mean, I think you touched on it with the Falcons and Dallas game, and that is going to be the game that everybody targets in DFS for cash games and for tournaments in week one. Uh, we have two elite offenses going up against two 
very average defenses. I mean, we saw Jared Goff tear up the Dallas defense that lost Leighton Vander Esch to IR. So one of their star players is now on IR for Dallas. And then we know that the Falcons consistently have one of the worst defenses in the NFL year in and year out, which bodes well for the Dallas pass catchers. So I think that game obviously stands out, but that you know, it's no surprise to anybody. If you're part of the fantasy community, you know, sports betting industry, or just a general football fan, you know that this game has the highest shootout potential out of any game on this main slate. So that is definitely what stands out, but it's not surprising to anybody. Yeah, I think that that game is going to have a ton of plays in it. And some of the Dallas guys especially remain underpriced. And we'll talk about that throughout the show in different segments. But, you know, because that game happened as Sunday night football, they didn't see things like Amari Cooper getting 14 targets and and it's reflected in his price but we will talk about that shortly Joey let's dive right into some chalk talk and go over the players that we expect to be the highest owned on the slate the most popular plays on the slate and I think the best place to start is with Benny Snell who's 4,500 this week James Conner is unlikely to play in week two now my question to you is do you believe that Benny Snell is good chalk or is he going to be sort of fitting that Antonio Gibson you know outline from week one mm-hmm. I don't think it's exactly a good correlation because Antonio Gibson role was undefined I think we can definitely project Benny Snell to have a sizable amount of touches but I think that he is similarly in a spot where he's a cheap running back and he is bad chalk, at least in my opinion. So how do you feel about Benny Snell this week? Yeah, so I don't think Benny Snell is necessarily a bad play, but I also don't think he is a great play at 4,500. I I mean, he had 19 attempts for 113 yards uh, in placement of James Conner, who ended up getting hurt after two minutes in the game. Uh, Well, it was like eight minutes, but I'm just exaggerating here. Shout out to James Conner, played him everywhere in fantasy and let me down. (laughs) Just wanted to put that out there real quick. But uh, Benny Snell has upside from just a pure rushing standpoint, but essentially no receiving upside. Uh, So we're going to see Jalen Samuels come in on third downs. He played on 31% of the snaps against the Giants in week one without James Conner. Now, the thing with Benny Snell is he won't kill your lineups if he scores eight to 10 points or eight to 12 points at 4,500. But question that, you know, I have to ask myself or you have to ask yourself is if you're okay having a player who can only access his ceiling by scoring multiple rushing touchdowns against what looked to be a stout Denver run defense. So with that being said, I can't see myself playing him in cash games because I just don't think he has a high enough ceiling um, with no receiving upside in the Steelers offense. Yeah, and if Connor sits, I think that we could see uh, the rookie Anthony McFarland be worked in a little bit more than mm-hmm. he was in week one and... and- You know, he profiles as a pass catcher. Look, I don't like to hate on the other Bennies in the world. You know, some (laughs) people call me Benny H from New York. So me and Benny Snell, you know, we got the same name. So I respect him for that at least. But, you know, no, I don't think that playing a one-dimensional running back on a short week against a defense that looked pretty good and at least did a decent job at stopping the big dog. Derrick Henry in week one is necessarily a smart play. And it's also an opportunity cost question with other valuable underpriced running backs, such as Jonathan Taylor, who we'll talk about in a moment here. Guys like Miles Sanders flying under the radar for his role in a potentially healthy week two debut. 
And, and yeah, I just, I don't know. I think that Benny Snell is going to be a pretty sharp fade this week, especially if he's pushing massive ownership in cash games. I'm on the fade Benny Snell train for week two. And I think, um, like we mentioned earlier, that this situation kind of resembles the Antonio Gibson situation, which we were on the fade side of that situation. So I think the sharp play with Benny Snell this week is to fade him as well. Although he does have 15, 20 rush attempt upside it's just a matter of can he score multiple touchdowns to get to access his ceiling, and I don't think he will. So let's talk about the other running back that projects to be massive chalk in week two, Jonathan Taylor, following Marlon Mack's injury that will take him out for the duration of this NFL season. Jonathan Taylor is immediately slotted in to be the starting running back behind one of the best offensive lines in the NFL. He's only fifty seven hundred on mm-hmm. DraftKings had you know a much larger share of targets than we would have expected coming off of a six target week one in which he caught all six of those balls it's pretty obvious that Naheem Hines will have a role on this team but I think that Jonathan Taylor is deservedly one of the you know most sought after DFS assets in week two yeah so Jonathan Taylor is he's a very good play this week um at only 5700 obviously with Marlon Mack going on IR with the Achilles injury he projects to have have the most touches in the Colts backfield. Now it does worry me that they played Hines above him after Mac went out. Essentially Hines was the RB1 and Jonathan Taylor was the RB2 after Mac exited the game. So that's obviously concerning, but this is a guy with elite level talent in my opinion coming out of Wisconsin you know he had three 2,000 yard seasons at Wisconsin regarded as one of the best college running backs of all time so I think it's just a matter of time before he emerges as an elite running back and we could see that happen as soon as this week going up against a Vikings defense that just seeded 158 yards on the ground to the Packers with a 4.9 yards per carry allowed to Aaron Jones and the other Packers running backs. Uh, So Jonathan Taylor is a great play. It's also encouraging to see him get six targets um, in week one, but I will say I think the six targets and six catches could be his highest total of the season. I actually have a different take here. I mean, Naheem Hines ran 28 routes, which was, you know, well above what Taylor ran with only 13 routes. But, you know, Hines was only targeted on 29% of his routes, whereas Taylor was targeted at 46%. So almost half of the time that he was out there running a route, Phillip Rivers looked his way. To me, that says that they are looking to get Taylor involved in the passing game and to get him touches in general because he is overflowing with talent. And while Naheem Hines managed to score the two touchdowns in week one, I think that Taylor profiles is a guy that they'll use a lot more in the red zone. And and I just think that Taylor is a fantastic play. Uh, He's a clear cut lock in cash for me this week. Yeah, definitely a lock in cash but I think there is some leverage in fading him in tournaments especially with Miles Sanders only $300 more who is a full participant in Wednesday's practice so if we see Miles Sanders get in some more full participation practices today and tomorrow and on Saturday or then I think Miles Sanders at 6k is a better all-around DFS play on DraftKings than Jonathan Taylor at 5700 I think that might be an unpopular opinion it's just hard to play Miles Sanders, especially since we don't know if his workload is going to be limited come Sunday against the Rams. That's a fair point. At the running back position, I think that, you know, with these options to pay down and Benny Snell and even Jonathan Taylor at 5,700, that's still a value. 
you know, people are going to be looking to spend that money at running back. And this week, I think Ezekiel Elliott at 8,200 and Derrick Henry at 7,900 are going to be the two most popular pay up options. Uh, you know, Zeke as a home favorite running back in a game with a 53 point total to me is, is great chalk. He's deserved a chalk. And I think he's the best running back play on the slate. And uh, I'll let you talk about Derrick Henry here because I know that you have strong feelings that he should uh, be a fantastic play in week two. Yeah, I mean, Derrick Henry, the big dog, the one and only. If you go on Wikipedia and you type in the Jacksonville Jaguars, the owner is Derrick Henry. Um, <laughs> he just, he just simply dominates Jacksonville every time he plays them. I mean, 99 yard touchdown here, 99 yard touchdown there, 270 rushing yards there. I mean, what's not to like about Derrick Henry? 34 touches week one against the Denver Broncos, only scored 16 points. He ran very bad, especially in the touchdown department, getting vultured at the one yard line by two tight ends, um, and then also getting stuffed at the one yard line as well. Uh, so Derrick Henry this week at 7,900, the Titans are going to give more opportunities to Derrick Henry to catch the ball out of the backfield on those little um, shallow out routes to the flat. So I think with Derrick Henry's touch upside as a home favorite as well as Zeke, home favorite running back uh, favored by nine points against the Jaguars going up against one of the worst run defenses in the NFL. I think Derrick Henry is a smash play this week and a lot of people are going to be on him. And I guess it just goes back to the process. Jamming in as many touches at running back as you can is ultimately the right process and the right play in DFS especially on DraftKings. So Derrick Henry, I'm going to be jamming him in with Zeke and Jonathan Taylor. I will put that on record right now. I think that is the best trio of running backs to play in cash games, especially with the amount of wide receiver value that we have this week. I'm going to be looking to jam in those 70, 80 touches from those three combined players, which I ultimately think is the right move from a process standpoint. Yeah, and that makes sense. I try my best, especially in the first four weeks of the season not to really incorporate matchup too heavily into my process because I think that it's so fluid and you know year over year it changes so much but in 2019 they allowed the fifth most rushing yards per game they were second in yards allowed per carry and second in touchdowns allowed to running back and then in week one of 2020 they surrendered 218 total yards to the Colts trio of running backs and, you know, Joey was not exaggerating when he said that Derrick Henry is the owner of the Jaguars. This man averaged 25.4 DraftKings points against <laughs> this division rival over their past four matchups. And yeah, I just think that Henry definitely caught the wrong side of variance with those 34 touches only putting up 19.1 DraftKings points in week one. So yeah, he's in the perfect scenario where he's a home favorite by nine points should easily see 25 plus touches and I think that he slots in right behind Zeke as the top play mm -hmm. on the slate not much needs to be said about Zeke I don't think I mean he is clear cut just yeah I think in a tier of his own I mean you could make the argument for Christian McCaffrey but McCaffrey's not really projected to be chalk so we won't talk about him in this part of the show uh let's talk about Mark Andrews for a second who is surprisingly projected to be the highest owned tight end on the slate as of right now you know I I just don't know I mean especially in terms of cash games I don't know how I feel about paying up for Andrews at 6300 I think there's some solid pay down options specifically one yeah I mean I get it Mark Andrews is you know setting new career highs in the amount of routes run and snaps that he's playing in a given week he's you know, in a 
cake matchup against the Houston Texans on a team with the highest implied team total on the slate. So I think there are a lot of reasons to like Mark Andrews, but I just don't think it's optimal, especially in cash games, to pay up for a tight end at 6,300. It really is that simple in my opinion. I personally don't believe that paying up is optimal, especially when you can get a guy like Logan Thomas Shout out my boy Logan Thomas for 3600 this week going up against Arizona. I mean, we could touch on that whenever, but going back to Mark Andrews, yeah, 6300 I mean, you know, from a process standpoint, obviously we're not going to be playing him in cash games at 6300 especially when you have some other guys like Amari Cooper right at the same price tag. I know a different position, but wide receivers obviously have higher ceilings. Mark Andrews is a guy who has a very solid floor slash ceiling combo in an elite Ravens offense. And then it's also encouraging that Andrews played on 71% of the snaps in week one, even in a blowout win against the Browns in which he only had six targets. Uh, so in better game scripts, we could see Andrew's targets uh, increase from six and even maybe uh, his snap percentage will increase, you know, to the 80s or, or mid 80s. So that is what is encouraging for Andrews from a DFS perspective. But I think just with the options that we have this week, especially sub 4K, uh, I'm staying away. A lot of things have changed in this world over the past 365 days, Joey. You know, 2020 has been a crazy year, but one thing that hasn't changed, one thing that will remain the same is that Lamar Jackson and the Baltimore Ravens will not play four full quarters because (laughs) no team can keep up with them. And RG3 is getting fourth quarter snaps guaranteed every week. So... (laughs) Yeah, I mean, I I agree. I mean, I think this is a game where they can easily blow out the Texans who have, you know, one of maybe like a bottom five, bottom 10 defense in the NFL. So this is, I think this is an easy win for the Ravens, even in Houston. Absolutely. Let's talk about the highest owned quarterback on the slate, or at least the one that is projected to be. And that is Kyler Murray coming off of a really strong week one performance against the vaunted 49ers defense. What are your thoughts on Kyler Murray at 6,100 who, you know, offers some decent discount off of, you know, guys like Matt Ryan at 6,600. He's 500 cheaper. And then Dak Prescott at 6,800, the two quarterbacks who were part of the premier game of the week. Yeah, I mean, Kyler Murray, in my opinion, is one of the best point-per-dollar plays on the entire slate. I think 6,100 for a quarterback in an offense that, you know, is going to be top two, top three in terms of plays ran on any given week, and then factor in his rushing upside. I think he has one of the highest floor-slash-ceiling combos out of any quarterback in the NFL. And like I said, he's only $6,100. I think that is just a clear misprice for week two. And I'm surprised that they priced him that low, especially after he ran for essentially 100 yards against the 49ers. I know he lost it because he took a couple knees out of the shotgun formation. But I mean, running for 100 yards against the Niners at the quarterback position is just a crazy feat. But DraftKings is just putting a lot of stock into this Washington front seven. And rightfully so. I mean, Washington's front seven is extremely talented, but their back end, their secondary isn't not that talented 
And I think Kyler Murray and DeAndre Hopkins and Christian Kirk can easily exploit them this week. So yeah, Kyler Murray, 6,100, great play. Yeah, I mean, Washington got 15 quarterback hits against Carson Wentz. Granted, the Eagles' offensive line was in shambles. And like you were talking about, the Cardinals ran the second most plays in the NFL in week one, the Bills were surprisingly number one. But, you know, as it relates to the Cardinals, I think that Kyler Murray is just completely game flow independent. If he doesn't have the opportunity to run like he did in week one, it's fine because he's going to get 40 to 45 pass attempts. So he's going to be right there. You know, as it relates to some of the other guys in this range, like Matt Ryan and Dak Prescott, I think that there's a lot more shootout potential in that game. I don't believe that Washington's offense led by Dwayne Haskins is going to be able to ever put Kyler Murray in a back and forth shootout type of situation. So I am concerned about that in terms of his ceiling, but in terms of floor and in cash games, I think he's one of the stronger plays on the slate. And as we've been referring to cash, I think it's time that we just transition over into some cash game lineup construction questions. And we can start with the wide receivers that are projected to be chalk and talk about how we're going to view them in cash game this week. Devonte Adams was a no brainer cash game lock last week at 7,300. I think that he is still underpriced right now, uh, sitting at 8,100. But how important is it to jam him in over somebody like Amari Cooper, who is just absolutely the most egregiously priced player on this entire slate, the 15th highest priced wide receiver, an $1,800 discount from Devontae Adams coming off of a 14 target week one performance. Yeah, I think Amari Cooper is clear cut the best wide receiver play on the slate, one of the best point per dollar plays on the slate. And I know we mentioned it earlier, but Amari Cooper saw 14 targets in week one against the Rams. And this is just a spot against the Falcons that you want to target these Cowboys wide receivers. I mean, the Cowboys have one of the best offenses in the NFL. So I want every single piece of this game. And 6,300 is just an egregious pricing on Amari Cooper um, for a player that we know has 30 40 point upside in this Cowboys offense as the clear cut wide receiver one. So it's definitely a priority for me to fit Amari Cooper in all of my uh, tournament lineups and in my cash lineup. Uh, but Devontae Adams still is a great play at 8,100. I mean, this is a guy that is going to see 10 plus targets every single week as long as he's healthy. Uh, so I don't mind playing him, but Amari Cooper is my priority play for week two. Yeah, and I agree with that. I think Devontae Adams is a phenomenal play. Uh, probably the best straight up projection at wide receiver in in, in week uh, two. But I mean, Jesus, almost 2K discount for a guy who should easily see a floor of 10 targets in Amari Cooper in a game with a 53 point total. Um, as much as I think that that Packers Lions game has some really decent appeal. I mean, I just don't know if especially without Galladay potentially, if the Lions have the potential to, you know, make Rodgers throw as much as he did against the Vikings. So Cooper, I think, will be in a back and forth game with just sky high upside and and a really solid floor as well. And one of the interesting things about this week from a lineup construction standpoint is that compared to last week, it's just going to be a completely different standard construction. You know, last week we were jamming in a lot of mid-range wide receivers. This week, there's just cheap wide receiver value everywhere. I mean, there's legitimately five guys with, you know, roughly eight to 10 targets 
target projections under 5k this week. That was absolutely not the case last week. So why don't you talk about some of the cheap wide receiver value that we have available on this week two slate? Yeah, I mean, there is a plethora of options. I don't even know where to start. I mean, we could talk about Deontay Johnson first if you want. I mean... I know you weren't high on him as a season-long pick, but Deontay Johnson played on 55 out of 64 snaps against the Giants, led the Steelers with 10 targets, and he's only 4,500 going up against a Broncos secondary that is very thin to begin with, and they just placed A.J. Boye on IR about four hours ago, uh, which bodes well for Juju and Deontay Johnson. Deontay Johnson at at 4,500 is a standout play, and I I think he'll catch ownership this week. Then we have C.D. Lamb for the Dallas Cowboys. We've been talking about it this whole podcast. I mean, you want to target players in this Falcons and Cowboys game and CeeDee Lamb is a guy who played on 59 out of 72 snaps against the Rams in week one, um, ran 54 snaps in the slot where he will see the best matchup on the field in the slot uh, most of the time with a 15.3% target share in week one, only six targets, but with Blake Jarwin tearing his ACL, I think there is some upside for targets in that offense with one less pass catcher so cd lamb 4700 great play paris campbell is 4500 as well he played on 61 out of 73 snaps which was the most out of any colts wide receiver he saw nine targets in week one against the jags granted the colts were in a close game with them and decided to throw at one of the highest rates, which we could see come down this week. Paris Campbell is a slot receiver, which we know Phillip Rivers likes to target a lot, and he is an explosive playmaker when you get the ball in his hands. So those are just three guys that are very cheap, um, have target upside, and pretty good offenses, and they're pretty good players themselves. So I don't think you can go wrong with playing either three of those guys. And I know I'm missing like three other wide receivers in this range as well. Yeah, I mean, you could make strong cases, especially like for cash game floor type plays for Mike Williams, who Mm -hmm. led the Chargers in targets, had a dominant share of air yards. And, you know, the, the Chargers project to be in a game script that they'll have to pass a lot facing the Chiefs likely to be down early. You could also make a strong case For Russell Gage, who we saw have 12 targets matching Julio Jones and Calvin Ridley and comes at a full 2K discount at only 4,800 on DraftKings this week. I think that all five of the guys that we just mentioned are viable for cash and really allows you to get up to some of the other plays that we spoke about. Zeke Elliott, Derrick Henry, Omari Cooper, Devontae Adams, any of those guys are all within reach because of this value. Of the guys that you mentioned, CeeDee Lamb and Paris Campbell are the two that stand out to me. I think that Lamb's target share is somewhat of a question mark. We saw him out-target Michael Gallup in week one, but that's the type of week one event that I think a lot of people are going to put a lot of stock into. I think that Michael Gallup and CeeDee Lamb will probably trade places being the number two wide receiver in terms of targets on a week-to-week basis. So, You know, as much as I do like Lamb and I think he's a strong tournament pivot off of Cooper, Cooper's going to be my, you know, primary go to asset in the Dallas passing game for cash games, at least. And Paris Campbell, I mean, I love Campbell as a play this week. He's 4,500. He was tied for the most targets 
with T.Y. Hilton in week one. He played the most snaps, had the most catches, had the most yards, and has clearly separated himself from the other ancillary receivers in the Colts offense. Uh, you know, Michael Pittman ran less routes than Zach Pascal. Zach Pascal is missing practice. So I think that, you know, Campbell has a legit shot to again lead this team in targets or at least be right in the same vicinity as T.Y. Hilton in week two. Yeah, and that's not even mentioning that Paris Campbell probably has one of the best matchups on the entire slate. Now, I know you said that you don't put much stock into matchups this early on, but the Vikings are a team that we're going to be targeting every single week in DFS as long as they're on the main slate. They're basically running bumps, like certified scrubs in the secondary. This is definitely a spot to target the Colts wide receivers. Like I like T.Y. Hotland in tournaments a lot. And uh, just going back to the C.D. Lamb, Michael Gallup argument, I think Michael Gallup is the best tournament play uh, out of these three Cowboys wide receivers, just because I think he is going to be the lowest owned wide receiver. So I think there is a lot of leverage to be had with playing Michael Gallup in tournaments, but I think C.D. Lamb is still a very viable cash option, as well as Paris Campbell, Deontay Johnson, Mike Williams, Russell Gage, um, all solid plays, and you can make an argument to to play them in your cash lineup for this week. I, I don't see anything wrong with that. Agreed. Jerry Judy, another guy that should be on mm-hmm. the radar if Cortland Sutton misses, and he is also sub-5K, looked absolutely incredible in his week one uh, Monday Night Football debut. The final quandary that we need to explore here in terms of cash game lineup construction is a bizarre question. Is CMC a clear-cut fade? Oh, yeah. I mean, for me, he was a clear-cut fade in week one. I know that it was a priority for you to jam him in, but I think that if I went back to my past self two weeks ago and said, hey, bro, you're about to be fading Christian McCaffrey in cash on DraftKings for two weeks straight, I probably would have slapped my future self across the face in disbelief. (laughs) But here we are now, and to me, Christian McCaffrey is barely on the radar for cash games coming in at 10k again in week two i mean am i out of my mind for thinking that mccaffrey is not a top play this week no i i think that he is probably the fourth or fifth best play on the slate with salary in mind i mean obviously christian mccaffrey is going to be a guy that plays 95 98 99 percent of the snaps for the panthers um, he's never coming off the field. Elite upside, obviously, but on the road as nine point underdogs going up against a very, very stout Tampa Bay run defense. I think fading him in cash is the right move in terms of process, especially when we have, you know, guys that we talked about already, Zeke. Henry both in great spots Jonathan Taylor in a great spot then I mean if you're on the Benny Snell train uh, Miles Sanders as well and then we haven't even mentioned Kenyon Drake or Ronald Jones if you're into that type of vibe Clyde Edwards Hilaire Aaron Jones both sub 7500 so many good running plays this week I don't think it is necessary to play CMC in cash now you know, obviously in tournaments, you know, I would say get some exposure to CMC because this is a player that could go for 45 points on any given team at any given moment. But I probably will not have any shares of him this week. I might have one tournament lineup and I know I just contradicted myself, but yeah, I'm on the full fade CMC train. So we are in agreement. If we lose in cash this week, uh, you know, I'll feel pretty dumb because I mean, fading CMC 
twice in a row is definitely questionable, but um, it is what it is. Like the running backs are just underpriced on this slate. A lot of really strong plays, but let's transition over here into our tournament segment of the show where we can just talk about general GPP strategy for the week, leverage, stacks, long shots. Joey, take it in any direction that you want to. I'll I'll give a stack that I didn't say in my video. And, you know, I, I think we're both going to be on this, especially with your challenge that you have going on. But I like a Daniel Jones to Darius Slayton stack. I mean, we saw it on Monday night that Darius Slayton is the best Giants wide receiver. I don't know who would debate that at this point. Uh, People <laughs> actually thought Sterling Shepard was going to yeah. be the Giants wide receiver yeah. one. That, that makes no sense to me. And Darius Slayton is still at 5K on this slate. I mean, he might just have to get jammed into my cash lineup just for the cause. But Darius Slayton is going to be a guy who's going to be under 10% owned uh, in large field tournaments. And then you could plug him with Daniel Jones, who looks good, but then he looks bad. You know, he might make some dumb mistakes, but he did put up 19 points against a tough Steelers defense uh and and we saw him have 22 rushing yards so if he can get you know maybe like 10 20 more rushing yards and he was only 20 yards off of the 300 uh, yard bonus in week one I, I think Daniel Jones to Darius Slayton is a very appealing stack in, in large field tournaments shout out my boy Darius Slayton 31 points week one two touchdowns and the 100 yard bonus in week one I mean honestly what a week what a night that was Darius Slayton is the definition of a tournament play this is just a dude with an enormous ceiling on on a team where the quarterback wants to look for him deep down the field um for for long touchdowns and we saw that in full effect week one uh had multiple deep targets and he came up with one over steven nelson for what 40 50 yards yeah i mean there's not a cornerback in the nfl that matched up against slayton has an edge against him i'll just say that right now <laughs> and for tournaments joey i actually really like the other side of that game you know running it back with mitchell trubisky aka trash biscuit i think that you know this stack in particular is a key component in correlating two of my favorite low-owned bounce-back plays for Week 2, Allen Robinson and Saquon Barkley on the Giants' bring-back. You know, if these two teams play similarly to how they did in Week 1, this will be a very fast-paced game with a lot of snaps. Saquon Barkley had a terrible game on national TV, and then his price goes up $400 <laughs> on this Week 2 slate. I mean, he's probably going to be four to five times less owned than guys like Zeke and Henry as you are basically paying up to be contrarian to get to him. I think a lot of people mm -hmm. are going to be sour on Barkley, but we know he's one of the top two most talented running backs in the NFL. And I think that he has, you know, a great opportunity to attack this Bears defense that surrendered almost 100 yards to Adrian Peterson last week. Uh, so, you know, with the pure, with the pure leverage that you can get in ownership off of Barkley, I think that he's a phenomenal play and, you know, uh, Trubisky had a, you know, surprisingly decent game for fantasy purposes. Uh, he is a terrible real life quarterback, but he can get there in fantasy. And I think that Allen Robinson had a disappointing week. There's been some drama with him on social media, deleting all of his posts related to the bears. He has, you know, some issues with his contract. So I think in general, both Allen Robinson and Saquon Barkley are two players with extremely high ceilings and very low projected ownership for this coming week. 
throw Trubisky in there for you know a really affordable price. I think he's fifty five hundred on the slate, mm-hmm. and uh, yeah, I- I'm all about that as a tournament stack. You could always throw Darius Slayton in there. I mean that only increases the odds of you winning a million or every time you do it so <laughs> yeah i mean I, I like this game as you know a low owned game to play in tournaments um and then i just want to shout out uh the lions and packers game I, I don't think we should overlook that there is a lot of fantasy potential and that's a game which should be a back and forth game uh, so i so i like some of the plays in that game specifically my boy i know you don't like him Quintess Cephas, 3,800, saw 10 targets week one. How do you feel about that? I mean, for me, <laughs> Quintess Cephas is, or Cephas, <laughs> for me, Quintess Cephas should essentially not be in the NFL. Mm. He's just a terrible athlete, ran nearly, you know, a five second 40. So I'm faster um, than him is what you're saying. I think that you have a better chance to be successful in the NFL than Cephas does. Uh, But in that same game, Joey, one of my favorite pivots is Aaron Jones. I think that he gives you leverage off of Mm -hmm. uh, Devontae Adams in terms of if Jones hits his ceiling from touchdowns, then Adams probably isn't hitting his ceiling from touchdowns. And Jones is cheap. He's a good pivot off of Henry, Zeke, and guys like that. And, you know, he had 20 touches in week one. That was only 54% of the Green Bay Packers running back touches. But The thing about Jones is that he is dominating the valuable touches. He had three carries inside the 10 to Jamal Williams one. He had six targets on the week, including four red zone targets, which puts him in a four-way tied for the lead league in red zone targets, tied with Mark Andrews, Emmanuel Sanders, and John Brown as five and a half point favorites, putting him in a, you know, favorable game script with the fifth highest implied team total on the slate. Aaron Jones is one of my favorite GPP running back plays on the slate yeah i like aaron jones a lot as well and like i mentioned i like that packers and lions game and i know we touched on it in the week one breakdown but the lions are a defense that we are going to be targeting every single week because they just don't have the pass rush or the secondary to compete at a high level um in 2020 their secondary just got exponentially worse too they lost desmond trufant and justin coleman Akuda didn't play in week one. I mean, I have no idea who their starters are going to be in this week, and I'm a Lions fan, so uh, <laughs> this is a real tough scene, and Adams and the rest of the Packers are in a smash spot. Yeah, so, I mean, it's looking like, I don't even know how to say his last name, Amani Arwari, and then we got Daryl Roberts and Chris Jones as the Lions starting uh, cornerbacks for week two, along with Tracy Walker and Deron Harmon as their safeties. So that is a secondary that we are going to be targeting week in and week out. And then just some other stacks. Don't really need to say much about the Chiefs. I'm going to have exposure to the Chiefs in tournaments. Um, And then I talked about it in my Millie Maker video, which you can go and find on the DFS Dose YouTube channel. So I'm not going to get too in deep, but I like the Rams and the Eagles game a lot in tournaments especially at very, very low ownership. I like that game as well, specifically Miles Sanders. We'll see what his ownership comes out to be towards the end of the week. But I mean, at 6K, I mean, last week we considered Miles Sanders to be a stone lock at 6,300 for his role and how vastly DraftKings underpriced him. Now he's cheaper, practiced in full Wednesday. If he gets two more full practices in, you know, Miles Sanders will be one of the strongest plays on the slate and could go 
overlooked because of guys like Taylor in that mm-hmm. range and the other running backs that people are going to be dying to pay up for. Yeah, I, I definitely think Sanders is a standout play. And one of my favorite long shot tournament picks is in this game. And as it stands right now, is only projected to be around five to six percent. Now this might change come Sunday, but Tyler Higby is 4,700 on DraftKings and Gerald Everett is questionable to play on Sunday against the Eagles and he did not participate in practice yesterday. So if Gerald Everett is out, that bodes very well for Tyler Higby. I mean, he didn't have a good game against the Eagles, only had four targets, but I think uh, there's leverage to be had getting off some of the top guys like Andrews and Kelsey and pivoting to a low-owned Tyler Higby, who we've seen put up very good games and the Eagles uh, do struggle against tight ends. I will say that. So Tyler Higby is my long shot uh, tournament play this week, about 5% owned. Okay. Okay. I'm going to give you a, a tournament play that I think is definitely going to fall under the radar. I was on him last week. Didn't pan out. I'm going to be back on him again. And that's TG3, Mr. Todd Gurley. You know, I no think that shot. Todd Gurley, listen, listen to this, man. I mean, Todd Gurley, is going to be probably one of the lowest owned players in the most targeted game of the week. And I mean, where else are you going to find two touchdown upside at 6,100 in a game like this? And, you know, potentially with a more neutral game script, if this game is closer opposed to, you know, the Falcons being blown out from the first quarter on, then, you know, I think Gurley could see more touches. He had five targets, like the usage was good. He could definitely luck box into two touchdowns and and be a phenomenal pivot playoff of a lot of the chalk in this week. Yeah, I mean, I I think the listeners know my stance on Gurley. I think this dude is a washed up scrub. He's going (laughs) to seed snaps to Brian Hill and Allison and, and the other backup running backs that they have on the Falcons. Now, he probably does have like 15, 20 touch upside, but we've talked about it. Uh, the Falcons are just a bad team, and I definitely project them to be losing in this game, which does not bode well for Todd Gurley. Uh, but at 6,100, I, I guess you can play him in tournaments, but I think there are some higher upside uh, players in that same range, such as uh, Kenyon Drake, 200 below him. Obviously, Miles Sanders, who we've been talking about, only $100 less, and then even a guy like Raheem Mostert. For $300 more going up against the New York Jets, which the Jets are probably the worst team in football. Um, So I'd rather have those guys than Todd Gurley, but maybe. That's fair. That's fair. All right. Final GPP point I want to make is an under the radar team stack. Uh, I don't think that you'll agree with this, but let's hear it. Anyways, Tyrod Taylor, I think, is a viable, stackable quarterback this week. The Chiefs should get up early. I don't think that we are yet in the part of the season where he's in danger of getting benched for Justin Herbert, but I do think that the Kansas City Chiefs could force him to play in a much more aggressive style than he is used to. They could force him to pass the ball a lot, and they could force him to rely on his, you know, best playmakers, guys like Mike Williams, who's dirt cheap. I mean, you can get that stack in for under 10K total. And you could stack Tyrod with Austin Eckler as well if you're projecting a bounce back. I mean, reacting to Austin Eckler's low targets in week one is the exact type of thing that I don't want to do. I mean, this guy is, you know, a 90 catch running back. Clearly one of the best pass catching running backs in the NFL. The Chargers would be 
complete donkeys to not allow him to get in that mode, especially in a game like this when he should be eating underneath uh, the entire game. So I like Taylor to, you know, either or both of Eckler and Mike Williams, and there are just countless options to bring it back with Clyde Edwards, Slayer, Tyreek Hill, Travis Kelsey, uh, you know, really whatever option you'd like from that Chiefs side of the ball. I guess it's just a function of Tyrod only scoring me nine points in my cash lineup last week and then I also watched the game and Tyrod is just terrible uh, so I'm never playing him in tournaments I just don't think he has a realistic ceiling even in a negative game script so no thank you on Tyrod Taylor and the Chiefs quietly just do not give up fantasy points you know to wide receivers or opposing quarterbacks I mean they were second in fantasy points allowed on DraftKings last year to wide receivers and they were a little bit higher uh, to quarterbacks they were top 12 in terms of quarterback scoring in favor of them uh so this is just a chiefs defense that you know looks terrible on paper but the scheme that they have just does not allow for big fantasy days from opposing wide receivers and quarterbacks or even though facing the chiefs usually means that it's going to be a higher scoring game so no thank you on tyrod dude is absolute trash uh tyrod trash bag taylor is his new nickname maybe i'm too low on him but i think it's right to be low on a career backup quarterback and career backup took the bills to the playoffs a few years ago come on now <laughs> yeah and got busted that is fair what a show it was joey our week to break down before we get out of here i want to hear your best bet or your best bets you can fire off as many or as few as you want here but what are you looking at from a sports betting perspective for week two i will say that right now we're batting 100%. Joey hit his one and I hit both of mine last week, even though one of ours was overlapping. But still, I mean, that Bills minus six and a half was such a smash. We both had to get it in. So right now we're batting 100% on the show. Joey, keep it going. Yeah, so I'll just put a disclaimer for me. I really don't love any of these games. I, I think this could be a week where Vegas rakes in. But a game that you know, I wouldn't mind betting or a team that I wouldn't mind betting is the Rams money line, just straight up money line. Currently ESPN has them as one point underdogs. And I know that line is different at various sports books. They are plus one, but I'll take them money line Rams money line. I think the Eagles are just very hurt and very overrated. I don't think they are a very good team. Uh, Carson Wentz looked lost. It, it looked like they didn't even adjust the game plan after losing, you know, half of their offense in week one. So give me the Rams money line all day. I, I think they go into Philly and pull out the W. All right. I like that. I am surprised that they're looked at as dogs right now, right? So, you know, that's really interesting to me. I mean, I feel like the Rams should be favorites in that game. I think this is just a bounce back year for the Rams and a bounce back year for their offense. So. Yeah, Rams money line. And I'm going to shoot two out there. The first one is the over for the game that we've spent the most time talking about. I think that the Dallas Falcons game goes over 53. 
So I'm all over that. And secondly, I would like to throw out the Ravens minus seven. I just don't think that the Texans are going to be able to hold with the Ravens. I think their defense is too good. And I think Lamar Jackson is just too powerful right now for for this, you know, Texans defense to handle. I like that. I would be really shocked to see the Texans keep this as a close game. Yeah, I, I like the Ravens minus seven a lot. Actually add them on to mine too. So that's both of our picks. Uh, same with week one. Uh, we're doing it again in week two Ravens minus seven is is probably the best bet honestly on the board all right yep that is fair like Joey said at the top of the show there are a myriad of ways that you can support the podcast starting off by subscribing on whatever podcast platform you are listening to us on right now whether that's Spotify Apple SoundCloud podcast addict stitcher any of the above we are everywhere rating and reviewing is always appreciated and subscribe to the youtube channel where you get weekly videos such as joey's DraftKings millionaire maker breakdown a preview of my cash game article which you can find on the dfsdose.com published each and every friday and updated throughout the weekend and yeah you can also follow our personal twitters mine is at ben hover b-e-n-h-a-u-v-e-r joey tell them where they can find you you can find me on Twitter at Joey Carrion DFS. All right, guys. Thank you for listening. Let's make some strong plays and sail to the money in week two.